Ken Forrester, Executive Director at Momenta. Welcome to our Digital Thread Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry operators. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to episode 182 of our Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. Today, I'm pleased to host Alicia Asin Perez, CEO and co-founder of Libellium, a Spanish IT company that has created WaspMoat a wireless, modular, and open-source sensor hardware platform for the Internet of Things. Libellium's technology is deployed in more than 120 countries, primarily across smart cities and precision agriculture solutions. Alicia was the first Spanish woman to recognize or to receive the National Young Entrepreneurs Award in 2014 and was recognized by the King and Queen of Spain in 2017 with highest distinction for scientists, researchers, and entrepreneurs. She holds a master's degree in computer engineering from the Polytechnic Center of the University of Zaragoza and is a graduate of the Cambridge Judge Business School in Assad. Alicia, welcome to our Digital Thread podcast. Pleasure to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me. All the pleasure is all mine. I know we have interacted long ago and early and often in your Libellium's background, so I've long looked forward to trying to do this podcast with you. So, you know, we call it the Digital Thread Podcast, and we always start off to understand somebody's own digital thread. In other words, the one or more thematic threads that defined their digital industry journey. What would you consider to be your digital thread? We are in the IoT business, which is a bluer one. Basically, we connect sensors to blend the digital and the physical world. It's a very expanding market right now because it's not a digital segment isolated. Today, it's combining with artificial intelligence, with cybersecurity or blockchain technologies. So it's like a spider web, more than a threat. (laughs) I know you were an early pioneer in the machine-to-machine and Internet of Things space. You guys co-founded Labellium in 2006. It's hard to believe, 16 years ago. So what originally attracted you to the IoT space at the time? I guess it was the horizontality. Because even although when you talk, the rule number one, uh, when you talk to, to investors is you need to go vertical and all those things about the people in strategy. And that the most attractive thing for me was that it was a core technology with the capability to disrupt every single industry. So I thought that was hugely powerful for me. And that was the most attractive thing. It's interesting. I have probably a similar experience starting off where it was this idea of a single digital bit controlling this huge atomic machine, if you will. And the thought of the just the combination of those two and how that could transform whole industries where you remotely control what used to be very physical assets in that regard. So very similar background and understanding, I guess, equally pioneering was your move directly into a startup out of university. Probably not a traditional path for most Europeans, but much less European women engineers at the time. So what is the origin story for Labellium? 
Well, the story of Livellium was a story of being crazy and also a little bit naive, if you allow me to say that, because we were two co-founders. My co-founder was doing his master thesis about distributed networks. So that was not IoT, not wireless sensor networks, which was the original term for describing this technology, but was a concept, a new paradigm of facing the the main models of central networking against distributed network. So with just that idea of doing something related to that, we started the company. And then we started all the journey. And I always say, should I know what we were doing, I would have never started. So thanks a lot to my so huge, naive, 24-year-old Alicia, because she said, yes, of course, we'll do this. And thanks to not thinking too much, we are here today. So yeah, so that's the origin. (laughs) Well, in hindsight, it seems like you made the right decision because you guys clearly have been successful in the space and truly a pioneer, especially I don't think you could have talked about IoT and more importantly, smart cities in the early days, let's call it 2013, 12 timeframe, without mentioning Libellium and the leadership that you personally, but your company provided as well. So I know you set out early to focus on smart cities and also agricultural space. Perhaps you can share with us some of your key use cases and wins from those spaces. We could talk hours, and this is probably the most passionate thing about what we do. When I was telling you just a moment ago that the most attractive thing for me was that it was horizontal, and also it had the capability to impact in many different segments. This is the reflect and the result of that, that you can be improving cities' mobility and giving insights on their pollution levels and how to improve them. And also you can be helping farmers to reduce the waste in their food production and most efficient production as well. And you can also allow fish farmers in Vietnam to comply with European regulations in their fish farms. So the whole story of Livellium use cases is always related to sustainability from one angle or the other one. So talking about specific things, I love in smart cities, I could outline two. For example, smart parking is one of the killer applications for IoT in smart cities because it combines all the pillars that an IoT project should have. So it enhances the quality of life of citizens, which is important to cities. It helps the environment because it reduces the carbon footprint of the cars by reducing the time they are circling to search for a parking spot. And it also increases the income of the municipality because you are helping to make it work in a perfect way. If you are the city council, what you want is to rent 100% of your parking spots, 100% of the time, and if possible, at the highest rate. And if you help to match offer and demand, you are winning with that. But sometimes we have been participating in projects where smart parking has been used in a different way. So there was a city in the north of Spain that was monitoring the usage of taxi stops. And they came to a conclusion that they were allocating like 12 taxi parking spots for taxis. 
And analyzing the data, they realized that they didn't need more than six. So they have that space, increase the number of parking spots that the city council could have for rental for citizens, that's increasing their income. And at the same time, you were offering to the citizens six new parking spots. That was great. So I like when we see not the typical use of technology, but going beyond that challenge. And we see business models and and use cases that go one step ahead. And in agriculture, I just came yesterday from Napoli in Italy, and I was visiting customers and I was visiting a farm producer of strawberries. He was very, very happy because thanks to one of our partners, Evia, and our devices, they are reducing the irrigation need by 30%, which is important, not only in economical terms, but also in sustainability terms, because they are using water in a more responsible way. And also they are reducing the number of fertilizers and pesticides by sometimes 10 to 15%, sometimes even more, which is again, sustainability win and also an economical win. So that's a great example that if we are more sustainable, we all win. It's not only the future of the planet, but it's also our pockets. And I love those examples. Those are both really great examples. What's interesting, as we've talked about Industry 4 and now the EU Commission has launched Industry 5, the biggest difference between those two, at least my qualification, is Industry focused on productivity. Industry 5 focuses on productivity plus planet plus people. And the thought is that, as you've well said in your examples, there's a win-win in all of this, right? Mm -hmm. If you're able to provide better productivity, you can create better sustainability, you can create a better life for citizens, for farmers and others that are participating in that. And so rarely do we see this as a zero-sum goal when you talk about ESG, especially technology-driven. We see it really raising, if you will, value across all, all three areas. So it's interesting. Both of your examples do that quite well. I know on Smart City, if I think about, some might argue that we're in a second or third wave of Smart City, if you will, interest. But I know you were part of some of the first waves and, of course, some boom and bust cycles that went along with those as well. What did you learn from your early smart city work and how are you preparing for really this next wave of smart city deployments? Well, we learn a lot, definitely, and we suffer a lot again. And I remember that when we were doing the first big projects of Livalium were related to smart cities deployments back in 2009, 2010, and we learned all kinds of things. I remember that we face and experience that this going from lab to reality effect, but that's much more increased when reality is a real city because you test things in laboratory and everything works, and then you move the technology into a live environment and you have a number of elements in a city that can interfere with technology. We are talking about the electricity line, also about the tram or the metro installations, which makes a lot of electromagnetic noise. So that's from a technical point of view. And then 
you realize what it really takes to install in the real life and maintain for the future. So I remember that when one of the first deployments, the very first deployments that we made before we even did an enclosure for our device, we put the devices in industrial boxes, make a hole and put all the sensors just through that hole. Okay, fine. But then we thought that, okay, but gas sensors expire when they are exposed to the pollution for a certain amount of time, you need to replace them. How are we going to perform those operations? Oh, damn it. So do you need to uninstall all the devices, send them back to the factory, open the boxes, replace the sensor props, and then send them back. So that's not a goal, (laughs) definitely. And that was the lead for the innovation in the enclosure of the plug and sense Wasmo device. So one of the biggest innovations we did by that time was in terms of the enclosure, the way that you could replace the batteries, the way you could install it fast, because you cannot cut a street for a long time and you are annoying the citizens and you need to be very, very quick and fast. And also how to make it sustainable in the time. How can you make it very easy to replace the parts that are disposable in a cheap way for the municipality? I also remember that it took us some time to understand that sometimes you uncover political or more human-centric conversations. You hide those conversations inside technical discussions. And I remember one day, one of our technicians, one of our engineers, was about to install the devices in a street light. And in that particular deployment, we were taking the energy from the street light and using that to recharge the batteries of the devices. A guy appeared and said, what are you doing? Well, we are installing these devices. No, you're not. (laughs) Pardon me? Are we not installing these? Who are you? I'm the responsible of lighting of this city and nobody has told me anything about this. So you are not doing anything, not today. The following weeks was a back and forth technical discussion about if a device like Wasmod could provoke a blackout in the whole city because of being connected. (laughs) But it was not that. The problem was that one day I was reading the emails. My engineers were totally desperate. Our partner was also desperate. It was like 10 engineers trying to make that guy to understand. And I said, you know what? I think this guy understands perfectly. We are not going to teach electricity to this guy. He's even more senior than us. What I think is that this project was promoted from the IT department, and they are talking about holistic approach, about having all the services controlling one network, but they have skipped the first level of horizontality. The IT department hasn't made part of the project to the rest of departments in the project. So they haven't asked lighting, how do they like the project? They haven't taken into account to mobility department in the project. And thus, people are proud and said, well, you didn't count on me. I'm not going to support your project. And I think that was a huge problem in early deployments of smart cities because they were not considering the human factor of such a complicated administration as uh, city councils. I mean, that's a great insight. 
One of the things we've observed real early is that the minute you deploy an intelligent edge device, so think about in your guy's case, a sensor on a street light and tie it all the way back into a cloud infrastructure, you've effectively, at least digitally, disintermediated every member of the value chain that in the physical world would have all been there, right? So mm -hmm. the classic example is like a Caterpillar tractor because they were one of the first to start instrumenting their tractors. And think about it, they went to market via independent sales and service networks. And so when the tractor cried for help at the end of the day, say I'm low on oil, the first message went all the way back to Caterpillar, right? And think about how that just disrupted, if you will, the value chains that are there. So your example is actually uh, very telling of that because there probably was a centralized IT group that was really driving this and they hadn't really thought about the physical electrical devices out there as being part of the network. But you guys effectively made them part of the network at that point. So it's an interesting insight. I know you guys were very strong on the community aspect of the IoT and should be complimented. So, and you did that via something called Cooking Hacks at the time, a site offering electronic products for amateur audiences, I think makers, students, et cetera. What did you learn from this effort? Many things. And I'm so glad of that particular thing that we did. First of all, Cooking Hacks was the way to fund Livellium, Livellium Bootstrap till last year when we raised the very first investing round. And because we had in 2006, we had three years ahead of product development, we needed to find something else to fund the company. So we created Cooking Hacks. So number one thing that we learned was how to take to the market things very, very quickly because we were addressing a market of makers, enthusiasts and universities. And that was the entry point for us. Also for future customers that then evolved from being Cooking Hacks customers to being Livellium customers. Secondly, we got a lot of feedback. They, they are very prone to share with you, oh, you know what? You, I think you should change this part of the electronic or rewrote your API in this part. And I think it goes better. Let me think what it's like. And we collected a lot of feedback for the product that was, in fact, integrated into the development of Flag and Sense and, and Wasmo. Thirdly, we learned that a B2B is not a B2C business. And that was the reason why we shut down this business unit in 2019, because there was a point where it had accomplished its mission for Libellion. And if we wanted to keep it growing and alive, it demanded a lot of resources from Libellion. And it was going in a totally different direction. And sometimes you need to learn that when we think about focus, we always think of vertical focus or geographical focus. The most powerful thing that I learned from Cooking Hacks is the power of community and the power of technology to empower citizens. Because we had this initiative of Cooking Hacks so close to universities and research centers, we launched in 2011, after the Fukushima tsunami, we launched a cooperative project to create open source Geiger sensor devices to be sent to Fukushima for technical universities, research centers, and also specific citizens that wanted to test by themselves their measurements. 
And it was like a smart city project done not by the usual paths. That was the first time I remember that we were starting also with the smart cities. There was a panel track in every single smart city convention talking about how to fund smart cities. And everyone was talking about either public investment or PPP corporations. After this, I said, well, we have an experience where we have provided citizens in Fukushima with the sensor devices. They've been maintaining them and they decided every people that received one of these devices received to upload the data into an open data portal to share the information. So they were maintaining an open data dashboard, monitoring the radiation levels around Fukushima, which was very, very cool because it was totally outside the company measurements, outside the government measurements. It was part of the citizens. And I've been using this example of another way to fund smart cities. I was saying, well, if you offer tax breaks to citizens, for example, to install and maintain sensor devices in their balconies, it can work because people are definitely interested in what's going on in their cities. And it links to them the highest legacy of the IoT in, in smart cities I see, and maybe call me a very optimistic, but I think that if we install this datacracy or datacratization culture in cities, we will learn to evaluate our governments in a more rational way, in a better way, in a more transparent one. And also our governments will be more accountable, again, in a more objective way with the real KPI. So I think it could lead to a better democracy after all, if or at least a more transparent one. So I think that this goes with when we stop talking IoT and we start talking philosophy, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or at least the impact of digital or IoT on life as we know it. Again, there is some wisdom to this idea that productivity plus people plus planet will create the right solutions when you consider all three elements of the solutions that are there. You had mentioned your growth round of funding. Congratulations on that, by the way. Where are you going to focus in terms of your next stage of growth now? We are focusing and tidying up Livellion. In terms of Livellion is a natural platform to, for a build-up, and that's what we are working on. We have identified three specific sectors where we want to be smart cities and infrastructures, agri-food is the second one, and the third one is sustainability. From an ESG point of view, we think that sustainability is a cross-theme in every single project we do, but there's things that can be done more specifically to help companies to show that they are complying with their green objectives and their sustainability goals. And of course, because Livellion is good at developing core technology, we are very good at making the best hardware. And now we have launched after, after 10 years of Wasmode, we are, we've just released the new device, which is going to be much more simple and also sustainable and easy to use. It's called One. And the idea is to complete the build-up with vertical acquisitions in both smart cities and also agri-food because we need to gain the vertical expertise. We, we are very horizontal, which is good, 
And what we need to compensate now is the lack of specific software applications and the lack of direct contact with the end users. And that's part of the journey that we are doing now. We've been working in the what I call the IoT 1.0, which is providing devices and providing the technology. The 2.0 could be the mixture between AI plus IoT, which we are starting now. And we want to go to IoT 3.0, that's beyond the challenge that we claim now of saying, well, what's the final result? How can we not only give advice, but also ensure the results that we say that you will be able to achieve with our technology? And that's where blockchain came into play. And that's what we will be investing on in, as part of the core technology development in the next two future years. And the final goal is if everything goes well, we would love to fight for an IPO and keep growing because we have the ambition to make a big IoT company that uses sustainability as the main inspiration and driver. Man, and you have certainly been well positioned, again, you personally, but Libellium early and often in, in sustainability conversations, especially around smart cities and agriculture. So it's interesting in some sense, you've been well positioned, but the market has finally caught up to your value proposition. And so it seems like a very good time to be talking about this IoT 3.0, which I really like. Some of your peers call it IoT 1.0 would be devices, IoT 2.0, AIoT, and IoT 3.0 outcomes, right? And when you think ESG, it is all about the outcomes, right? And guaranteeing those outcomes, regardless of the hardware, the software, and everything else that you use. So Great vision, very timely, and certainly would be a nice lead up to an IPO. I guess one quick question, as we wind down, perhaps an interesting question from my perspective. I know you guys have been proudly Spanish and European through your journey. What have you appreciated most about operating in Spain, and how do you think this compares to your peers in Silicon Valley? Well, I think that there's one very good thing of being in Spain and Europe. It's the fact that there was a very good moment, the perfect storm back in 2009 and 10 and the following years with lots of funding in the way of age 2020 programs or uh, feather funds for cities or even EDASI uh, funds for cities where you were promoting those funds to be used by cities to innovate. That really accelerate the whole ecosystem in Spain. And I used to say that Spain was the European Silicon Valley for smart cities because there were lots of companies that were created back in those years to address those opportunities and start innovating. The other good thing is that because we lack of, by those years of the investment ecosystem that there is in Silicon Valley, we all need to focus on the business models to make money and make sustainable companies. Every time I hear Silicon Valley companies saying, we are just in year three, monetization comes into the plan for next year, it totally explodes my head. And I couldn't understand <laughs> that. Say, what? You don't even know how are you going to monetize this technology? What are you doing every year? But the other thing is that they don't care because they have funding, lots of funding. And usually when you put all those amounts of fund, well, usually make something huge. Not always. And we've seen big pitfalls recently in the IoT market. 
where putting a lot of money in your company doesn't warranty a success. But I think that's a big difference. Yeah, it's interesting. In Silicon Valley, there's a term of PowerPoint company. (laughs) And it's all concept and obviously no execution against it. So interesting observation. In closing, I always like to ask, where do you find your personal inspiration? Well, I try to find it everywhere. So books, of course. I'm recently reading The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen. Great book. I understand why Steve Jobs said that was the only company book he had in his office, but also from our end users. We are um, a technological company, and sometimes you don't see the final installation. And I was this week visiting end users, farmers, using the devices, and that was hugely inspiring for me because I was saying, well, this is why I wake up every morning to make a more sustainable world to make better businesses for these people. And I like to see the down-to-earth, especially in agri-food, the down-to-earth side of the technology. And finally, I see a lot of inspiration from my co-workers as well. So when you see people believing in the project and working with a high passion, that inspires me and pushes me to be better because I cannot deceive them. So (laughs) I don't know if that's inspiration or need or passion, but it's good anyway. (laughs) So the inspiration behind the inspiration that is Alicia Sin Perez. So Alicia, thank you for sharing this time and insights for us today. It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed a lot our conversation. Excellent. So have I, and I'm glad we finally took the opportunity to do it. And uh, I do look forward at the time we're recording this. A week out, we will all be in Barcelona at the IoT Solutions World Conference. So greatly look forward to seeing you on the stage there and seeing you live again after quite a while. So this has been Alicia Asin Perez, CEO and co-founder of Libellium, and let's say focused on IoT 3.0 the outcome economy. Thank you for listening and please join us next week for the next episode of our Digital Thread podcast series. Thank you and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of podcasts as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening. 